This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chowton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you're listening to Endurance Day on Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. It's December 10th and episode 805. This episode is brought to you by Action Rider Tack. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best condition, and completing the challenge is the challenge, you're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love, but don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us here at Horses in the Morning on our monthly look at the sport of endurance with Karen. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Glenn. How are you? Are you staying warm in Florida? Yeah, you know, we saw a post on Facebook this morning. It was a map of the United States with all the temperatures, and you guys are all freezing your butts off. And across that map, Uh it said, we hate Florida. And that's because we've been actually having record heat. We've been in the 85 to 90 range and uh, kind of sweaty down here. So, uh, and you said this morning it's wow. what, zero, uh, where you are in Colorado? Zero. It was, it was um, Nevada. It's Nevada. zero. But it's warmer than yesterday morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something. <laughs> so what have you been, is this unusually cold for you? You know, we all often have temperatures this cold. However, we haven't gotten above freezing for several days now. So I'm hearing reports from friends about pipes freezing and things like that. And it just gets, you know, cold for this long. It starts to wear on you. It's a little harder, especially with having horses. you got to worry about their water. And mine have started to get these ice balls that build up in their feet and you can't just get them out with a hoof pick. And so it looks like they're standing on high heels because it, the snowballs end up being like four or five inches and they're up on them, like on stilts. So have you gotten the blowtorch out? Is that how you're getting them out? I, I take a, um, a rubber mallet and a flathead screwdriver and I just kind of hammer it out. <laughs> I, I remember those days, Karen. And by the way, you were being so nice and politically correct by saying if things are a little harder. It's a pain in the ass when it's that cold. And and your buckets freeze. And then the buckets, you, you freeze them and then you try and get the ice out of them and it comes out in a great big bucket-looking ice clump. And then you have all those all yeah. over the barnyard. I, I remember the days well. I don't miss that, by the way. Right. And- and the frozen hoses. <laughs> oh, a nightmare. Yeah. I would definitely own a heated hose by now if it uh, if I still lived in the cold territories. The one of those new heated hoses from Pirit. I would yeah, definitely own one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got two big um, tanks that are heated with the. Um, it goes into the drain plug kind of heaters. That way, my horses can't get to it. 
and uh, that keeps, and that works out really good because I have some fish in one of the tanks that are about 10 years old now, and we don't want them to freeze. <laughs> <laughs> you kept outside fish alive for 10 years? Yes, I have, and I don't feed them or anything. They seem to survive on whatever manages to, to fall into the tank. See, now, if you actually had fed them and tried to take care of them, they would have died in six months. Yeah, <laughs> they would have. And, and I've had, I've had years where the tank heater quit and the tank froze, and when it thawed back out, they started swimming around <laughs> again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, they're hardy little things. I guess they have to be to live here. <laughs> so do my horses. Frozen. Are they pets or like goldfish or what? Are, what kind of fish are they? Uh huh. They were like you know. 10 or 12 fish for a dollar when I first bought them. And how big are they now? Oh, eight or nine inches. Well, they're pretty oh, good so they didn't get real big. No, they're not huge. I'm sure if I had an even bigger tank, you know, maybe 100 gallons, they'd probably get even bigger. Yeah, they're, they're self-limiting that way, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> what, now, what, now, I've got to ask, because I know growing up, there are all sorts of... Um, Ancient wisdom about fish in water tanks. Uh, why did you put the fish in your water tank? You know, just having them in there moving around, I think it kind of helps. And the horses really like, we call it the fish water. They like that water over any of the other waters. I, I'm Really? Yeah. And so, um, you know, even if algae grows in there, the, the fish, they seem to like it. The horses like it and... And the fish do well. So it's just, I, I'm not really sure if I did it for any reason other than I just thought it'd be cool to see if I can keep them alive. It'd <laughs> be cool. <laughs> you know, you're lucky it's because. Like those, like you go to a bar and you get those fancy light up, light bulb, light up ice cubes in your, in your drink. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're lucky because in some of the Icelandic countries, they actually feed horses. They actually feed horses fish. So if yeah. your horses were Icelandic yeah. rather than Arabian, then you might not have any fish left. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and every, you know, and I, when I do clean out the fish tank, I call it the fish tank. It sounds funny. I'll find all sorts of stuff in there that Bo has put in there. My horse. You know, feed pans that went missing, <laughs> but they're down in the really? bottom. <laughs> He's yeah, feeding the fish. black, so you can't really see that they're in there. Bo's That's feeding. See, hasn't killed any of my fish. Bo's feeding your fish. That's what's happening. That's why they survived this long. Is he keeps sneaking them stuff? You know, leftover grain. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> well, Jennifer, what's coming up on today's endurance day? On today's Tuesday Endurance Show, brought to you by Action Rider Tech, we start out with a high-energy recounting of Karen's most recent ride adventures, all of which will be available in paperback in early 2015. <laughs> and then up next, Karen ha- Hassan stops by to discuss lameness in the endurance horse, sure to be a good topic. And in the third half of the show, Christine Lazzarini to- is here to tell us about her documentary, Arabian Silk. Horses of Endurance, another good one. Sounds like a potential gift idea. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Very good. Well, we're going to do something we do normally on our show here every day. We have something we call a Daily Winnie. So I have a Daily Winnie we have to give to somebody. (laughs) 
This daily winnie goes out to one of our listeners by the name of Robert Grantham. He's a uh, daily listener. We he chipes in a lot, and he said, "Looking forward to the show as usual. We'll have to listen to the recorded show. Just recently received my copy of Endurance 101. I ordered after the show you mentioned it on. So I think that was the last episode we did here uh, on Endurance Day, where we had a couple of authors on. Wasn't that the last one? Uh huh. And we had Aaron Storm." And Andrew McGee on. And I think that, uh, you know, he heard it there and actually went out and ordered one of the books. Endurance 101 would be a great okay. holiday book for the per- for the person in your life who's looking to get into endurance, wouldn't it? It would. It'd be a great gift. And, and so would Angie's book, The Lighter Side of Endurance. They're both um, great reads. And if you missed that last episode where we talked to the authors of those books, you can go back to our website at horsesinthemorning.com and just look back through the archives and you'll find all of Karen's endurance episodes. And the easiest way to do that is just to type endurance in the search bar in the upper right-hand corner and it'll bring up all of the, or type Karen's name, Karen Chatton. And all of her episodes will come up. If you missed some, you can go back and listen to the past ones. Uh, We have people doing that every single day. So, Karen, now what are you, you been up to over the last month have is this your quiet time or are you still doing some rides well normally you know i'm getting it was getting towards the end of the year because we just started over a new ride season december 1st but at the end of the year i found that i was you know placing really well on the standings so i had to keep going to ride so i could stay in first place (laughs) so i went to um John Park's ride down by Santa Barbara called Sistenta Anos for in honor of his 60th birthday. And I rode Bo both days there, had a really good ride. The weather was just perfect. Um, one of the days I got to sponsor and ride with Lacey Bainsbridge, which you probably remember we had on as a junior rider. Oh, wasn't she like 10 or Bo. 9 or 10 or something? Uh, nine, 9 years old. And with that ride, she's completed a thousand miles on her horse oh, this wow. ride season, which puts her in the first place on junior for mileage for the year. So congratulations to her. And then after I did that ride, I uh, went to one over Thanksgiving weekend that was more local to me called um, um, Gold Rush Shuffle. It used to be called the Desert Gold Ride when they had it over in Monterey, but then they had to move it. And now it's up north of Auburn, which is where most people would, would you know, know where Auburn is in California, Northern California. And that was a three-day ride. And I rode one day on boat, the 55-mile day, and uh, called it good. That was our last ride for for the 2003 ride season. And, and we finished, um, you know, um, where I wanted to in the standings. I'm pretty sure I'm um, both first, and then she's either third or fourth. Well, congratulations. Good year year for us. Thank you. And they did, uh, I think my horses did a little over 2,400 miles last season. So now starting this coming weekend is the new ride season ride, the first ride that I'll be going to for 2014. I like how you say, uh, Karen, I like how you say my horses did a little over 2,400 miles last year. And, and like, you weren't on, like you weren't on the board the entire time. Right. Yeah. My horses did it. I sat back at the camper, had some drinks, waited for them to get back. It's, it's so funny how you all the endurance riders say that, though. I mean, you guys all say it that way, like you weren't involved. Uh-huh. 
Well, we want to give the horses the credit. They deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did, but your butt <laughs> also has to sit in that saddle for, for days on end. So, yeah. well, you, you know, the, the real big secret to endurance riding, though, is the actual riding part's the easiest part. The hard part, the training and the conditioning and the preparation and the packing and the driving and then the setting of camp and then the breaking down camp and driving home and then unpacking and then getting ready to do it all over again. That's the real endurance part oh, of the, the sport. Oh, you forgot the, the you forgot one of the other things that happens when you get home is trying to stay out of divorce court. That's the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that, that's why you pack up and leave again. <laughs> Now, when you get home and actually, let's say you, uh, your horse is a little lame or, you know, you, you don't go away for a month. Does your husband like ready to get rid of you after a month? He's like, OK, I need my quiet time. Could you please leave? Well, he'll all hear um, like a comment like, so when's your next ride? <laughs> <laughs> soon, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> How soon are you leaving again? <laughs> That's funny. Well, the, now, uh, speaking of which, that leads beautifully into one of the things you wanted to talk about today with your endurance tip of the month, and that was traveling and camping with horses and uh, how how really dangerous that can be. It can be. And, you know, some of the rides this year, we've had horses that have gotten loose out of their um, portable whatever containment systems they're in, and some have gotten hurt, you know, fairly badly while others end up getting caught and there's no harm but overnight camping with with horses is something that we can make it safer and and i like to use the word safer rather than the word safe with horses because i really don't think there's any safe way to contain a horse you know we can do what we can with them to try to make things safer you know, but that's, you know, really all we can do. So what I want to talk about for my tip today is about, you know, containing horses overnight at a ride. Or, you know, this could apply for anybody, even if they're going horse camping or whatever. And the best way to do that is to practice at home. Because, go, you know, if you're taking a new horse or even a horse that's done it already to a ride, that can be exciting by itself. Then you add in things like other horses leading and coming or a buddy or a horse they suddenly are attached to leading them, then they get even more excited. So um, my tips are going to be about what to do to practice ahead of time to help train your horse so he's more comfortable camping overnight in your containment system. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that before you get into that. Talk about okay. what containment systems are most popular for for the overnight okay. camping at endurance rides. Well, I think this varies a lot by region. I know in some regions, the electric hot wire fences are fairly popular. And most of the rides I go to, they're not quite as popular due to the fact that um, all it takes is anybody else's horse getting loose and running through your electric fence to pull it down, and then you've got a whole herd of horses loose. So I think a lot of the riders in the West tend to use either a more permanent or portable um, corral 
or um, a trailer tie or a high tie or spring tie where an arm swings out on the trailer and a rope drops down. But all all of those types of systems are popular, and you'll see, like, it, almost any ride, you'll see it, quite a variety of all different types. And some horses do better in some than in others. And, you know, some, you know, the one real important thing is, I think, to know is that a horse really needs to be able to tie safely if it's going to be going to an endurance ride. Because you never know when you might not be able to set up your fence or if another horse might run from yours and damage it. So then you do end up needing to be able to tie your horse. So Now, when you tie them um, like that uh, to you know, as you said, to the trailer in some way, shape, or form. Are you tying them long so that they can move around? Or are you keeping, you know, and actually lay down? Or, you know, how, how, or are you risking them getting all caught up in their rope at that point? Well, you know, that's where the, the planning ahead and practicing at home comes into play. Because if you do that, then the horse is already a little bit familiar and he knows his limitations. You know, I like to tie my horses so that the rope is maybe six inches, the snap on it would be like six inches off of the ground. Any longer than that, you know, because one of my tips is that, you know, a horse only needs an extra inch of rope to hang himself. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's true. That's statistic right there. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay, so things you can do in preparation for overnight camping with your horse in an endurance ride. Um, hobble and rope train your horse, and this sets up the initial lesson of giving to pressure. Hobble trained horses are less likely to panic and run, and they're more likely to wait to be rescued. Okay, <laughs> set up your overnight camping containment system in a safe and closed area at home. So you get your trailer out and put up your cur- portable corral or your you know trailer tie, and, and just set that up. Put out your water buckets and hay bags and feeders just like you would at a ride. Now start exposing your horse to the camping setup. Do it gradually and, you know, build up to to having your horse spend more and more time, you know, either in the portable corral or tied to the trailer or, you know, whatever your system is. Now when you work or ride your horse, return to that camping setup and put your horse in it and let him get comfortable eating and drinking and just getting familiar with all the stuff there because this will be your horse's home away from home. So the more familiar they are with it, the more comfortable they'll be in it when you take them to a strange place. Now, this next thing is really important because a lot of horses get separation anxiety really bad. So if you have another horse or a buddy horse, put your horse in the containment system and then take the other horse away from him and just see how he behaves. Some horses get over it really quickly and they go back to eating and they're fine. Others will run around, they might rear up, they might buck and kick or run through the containment system. So you want to, you know, practice that at home, getting the horse used to being separated from his buddy. The next thing is when you know your horse is going to roll, like say you've ridden him and he's hot and sweaty or you've just given him a bath, the horse just can't resist rolling after that. So that's a good time to go put your horse in his containment system and let him learn the limitations that he has within that system of being able to roll. Because once you finish an endurance ride, pull your tack off and leave your horse, most likely he's going to want to drop and roll. So if you've done that ahead of time at home, 
and you know that he's kind of figured out how he needs to roll in order to do it without getting caught, you know, even better. And we have a couple of horses that when they decide to roll, they don't care where it is or when it is, they're going to roll. And you're leading them into the paddock and they drop right in the gate and roll. I mean, uh-huh. it's, you know, it's just uh, my pony insists on roll, right. trying to roll when he's cross tied. So we can't cross tie him anymore because uh-huh. he keeps trying yeah. to hang himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, especially if you're camped on soft dirt or sand or something, they just can't resist that, you know, so you know, they're going to do it. You know, and a lot of horses have to get caught or tangled in something at least once. And then they learn from that. They're pretty smart. I mean, almost every horse I've ever had, they've only ever gotten caught in their containment system once. And then they know better. They've learned. Okay, so next is review what you're going to do if your horse does get tangled or caught in something. It's like having an escape plan. Make sure you have a sharp knife and know where it is. Make sure your quick release snaps, you know where they're at and that you'll be able to reach it if your horse does get tangled up. So, you would, you know, if you have a quick release snap on your high line, you don't want it 12 feet up in the air where you can't reach it if the horse does get tangled. You want to, you know, plan ahead and make sure you know what you're going to need to do if your horse does get tangled up in something. Okay, so then uh, the next uh, one other thing, um, and this applies you know, not just to containment systems, but always check the length of rope you tie with to make sure it's the proper length every single time. So if you take your horse for a walk and come back, you need to double check and make sure that that rope hasn't stretched or if the rope gets pulled sometimes with the quick release, the ropes will stretch and get a little bit longer. And like I mentioned before, a horse only needs an extra inch of rope to hang himself. You know, it only takes just a little bit of being perfect to be, you know, an accident waiting to happen. Now, I just have Karen, a, another... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Finish, finish up. I have a question. Well, I just have just one more quick, short, little list of things that you should not do. And that is oh, um, one... Yeah. yeah, never clip a quick-release snap of any kind to your horse's halter. All it takes is the horse rubbing his head on his leg and quick-releasing himself. I've seen that happen so many times. But don't use quick-releases um, on to attach onto your horse. That needs to be higher up on the line. Okay, next is don't bring a horse to a public event that cannot be tied safely. You never know if what could happen your horse gets loose, other horses cause yours to get loose, or something happens to you, someone else may need to be able to tie your horse up. Next is don't use bungees to tie with. If a horse pulls back or gets tangled in a, with, when he's tied with a bungee, eventually it's like a big rubber band. It's going to break. And when it breaks, it's going to go flying one way or the other with the hard broken hardware at the end. And it can, you know, put your horse's eye out. I've seen it um, actually break a rider's wrist. It shattered a woman's wrist. So don't use bungees to tie your horse with. We've never been big fans of those for tying. Yeah, I've seen so many bad accidents with those over the years. And then the last thing is don't wait to get help if you're having problems. You don't want to turn a minor issue into something serious. So, um, you know, Practice camping at home. Get your horse familiar and comfortable with your system. You know, if you're having some issues or trouble, you know, seek out help. Find somebody to help you that's experienced 
and, um, you know, try to make your horse as safe as possible before you bring him to a ride. So, Karen, for at least for the endurance um, discipline, because each discipline has their own favorites and least favorites of equipment and theories, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of newfangled tying devices that you can use to tie your horse that will supposedly help keep them from panicking when they get to the end of the line um, that are supposed to replace a knot at the end of the rope or should replace the impression that a bungee cord might give right. them if the horse has some give. Do you see a lot of those in, in the endurance bits since the horses do spend a lot of time tied? Not not a whole lot. There are some, like those tie blockers. I'm not even sure what all the names of them are, and I have seen some of them in use. And in some cases, they might may work, but really there's no substitute for training and practice and, mm-hmm. you know, this pre-camp, you know, planning and um, practicing ahead of time. It's just another part in your horse's education that they really, you know, it can really help them you know, be, like I said, be safer. You'll never be completely safe confining a horse. <laughs> They're just, that's not possible, but you can make things a lot safer. Now, you got to tell everybody, and I know this is a little bit embarrassing for you, about the night with the gate and destroying your camp. Um, you mean the portable? Yes. Um, well, the, okay. <laughs> that you told us about it yesterday. Was, <laughs> Yes, and it's like 40 degrees, and I was in my living quarters sleeping, and I could hear the sound of like a train coming, and what it was was a horse had run through its um, electric, or not electric, it was metal, um, corral, uh, an entire corral system, and he was dragging the entire thing, and he basically... I got up out of bed, opened up my living quarters door, jumped back inside and closed the door because it was heading straight straight for me. I had my awning set up and my table and chairs and front porch all set up. And the horse dragged the whole crawl panels right through my whole front porch and just dismantled everything. Stuff was flying everywhere and there was nothing left. <laughs> like a tornado had gone through. And it, eventually the horse went around. The panels got caught enough on my ramp that the horse couldn't keep going because had he kept going, he was heading straight for um, people that were sleeping in a tent. Oh, <laughs> that's not good. Hopefully they would have heard it coming in time to get out, but you never know. So, um, that horse, I don't, I, it was seemed up pretty good and I don't think it ever went to another endurance ride again. But, <laughs> Probably a good move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you got to be careful. You know, that's, that's another safety tip is, you know, if there are horses running loose, don't jump out in front of them, you know, <laughs> stay out of the way because if they're scared and panic, they're not going to have any respect for you at all. They're, they're just, they'll mow right over you. So be really careful if you're trying to catch a loose horse. Yeah, especially one that has an entire <laughs> gate system attached to his butt. I mean, that's that's never. Exactly. Yeah, that's never. Well, yeah, because usually it's got its head through one of the panels. And then the rest are just sort of dragging on behind the cat. <laughs> we had, uh, you know, we see that all the time at carriage events it, it, where the horse, you know, for some reason the rider will fall off the carriage and there were the, you know, the horse bolts or whatever. And now you have a broken carriage bouncing around behind the horse. And that's never good oh, because no. the, the last thing the horse wants to do is stop. 
So, right. you know, and you know, the longer they go, the more broken up the carriage gets and the more it bounces around and, you know, banging and into the cars. The uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, so, and, yeah, so, that's why I, I hobble train all my horses. And then as soon as they get caught in anything, they stop and wait to get rescued. You know, that's interesting because you don't hear a whole lot about hobble training, you know, except, uh, you know, yeah. I haven't heard it mentioned on this show in forever. Well, you know, one one time I, I was riding just down my street, which I've done a thousand times, and I, I felt Chief's back leg get kind of tugged off behind him. And I stopped and backed up, and you know what it was? The neighbor's hot wire had come undone, mm. and it was locked around his hind leg, and it was still hot. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, Yikes! He, he stopped and backed up, and I hopped off and got him undone. But that was, you know, a perfect example of why that kind of training has really paid off. <laughs> Interesting. Because well, if he had taken off, um, you know, he was caught in it, and it would have really done some damage. Well, a little bit later in the show, you have a product review of a product uh, that's used a lot in endurance, and it, you know, mm-hmm. people can find it at actionridertack.com. But we're actually running a little, a little long here today, so we'll go to our guest first. First, let me talk about Action Rider Tack. Action Rider Tack is where you'll find the largest selection of treeless saddles north of the equator and a fabulous selection of quality trail and endurance gear. If you're looking for a holiday gift for an endurance rider or a prospective endurance rider in your life, then Action Rider Tack is the place you want to go. They understand horses, they ride, and they just get endurance. Uh, They have all the products that you're going to need. You know, uh, as I said, Karen's going to review one here very shortly that is one of the products you can find there. But, you know, right now they're shipping for the holidays. You have to get your orders in soon. So head on over to Action Rider Tack. They provide the best customer service and will always answer your questions. You want to find them at actionridertack.com. They have a coupon code, Action13, for free shipping on your next order. That's Action, the numbers, 1-3, for free shipping on your next order. Action actionridertack.com for all of your holiday needs for the endurance or trail rider in your life. They're always there for you and your horse. Well, Karen, why don't you introduce Karen? All right. We have Dr. Karen Hassan with us this morning. She's um, an equestrian surgeon and specializes in lameness issues. And she's done quite a lot of research on lameness and her balance during the Tevis Cup ride. And um, she's been a speaker at the AERC convention and also works as a, um, a ride vet at the local endurance ride. Good morning, Karen. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning, Karen. Well, thank you for joining us. We're really looking forward to talking to you. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. I did one radio show and I sat in a little room, so this is new to me to be on my phone in my house. Oh, good. (laughs) Good, good, good. Is it freezing where you're at? It's been very cold, and down here in Newcastle, we're not, I don't think we're accustomed to this kind of cold. Oh, right, right. Okay. Well, let's start with talking a little bit about the research you've done at the Tevis. Um, I know... You've done studies the last two years. Let's start with the 2012 one and tell us about it. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to just provide just a little bit of background to why I even wanted to look at lameness um, specifically in endurance horses. Um, I, as you said, I've um, 
I did a residency in lameness and surgery. And starting with endurance uh, in Nevada, my first endurance ride, I readied with two small animal veterinarians. And I just stood back and watched, you know, saw horses that were a little bit off here and there. And um, mm-hmm. just kind of was getting the, the feel of how it's done and, and what we do and what exactly constitutes a pole and that. And that, and I think it's similar to other disciplines, horses with the um, degree of asymmetry that gets pulled from competition is pretty consistent. What I became interested in was horses that have less than a pole, you know, what is it going on with them? Is it something that's that we should be concerned about. And I think Mm -hmm. as I started with endurance, I would say to people as I was watching the horses trot, you know, I think your horse is a little off in the back or the front or whatever, and people would get concerned. And I would say, well, you know, just, I don't know how significant it is. Let's just, as we say in endurance, let the trail sort it out. And oftentimes the trail does sort it out. Mm -hmm. But I was still, as I went along, and especially on the, on my end as a practitioner, when I see someone come in for endurance and I ask about the history and they tell me the horse is never off, it's completed all these rides. And I could see mm-hmm. that they completed rides, but maybe they weren't completely sound. So I became very interested in more subtle linguses. What are they in endurance horses and um, when are they significant? So that's what I was wanted. I still want to solve. <laughs> uh-huh. so right. That, yeah, so we all want to know how to... How to avoid lameness, that's for sure. Right. So the first year, and, and Tevis is such a great opportunity because you have so many horses at one time. Um, and I was mm-hmm. just working treatment, so I'm not really treatment at the uh, end, at the fairground. So I'm not needed until 3 or 4 in the afternoon, not starting till then. So I wanted to look at horses that were pulled for lameness and localize their lameness with nerve blocks. If Everybody's familiar with that. We put mm-hmm. anesthetic starting at the heel and work our way up the horse's leg on the lame leg. And when they go sound, we know that the area that I've anesthetized or blocked is the area where the pain's coming from. So that was my 2012 or 11. That was the, my first year study. And uh-huh. I looked at, um, actually, I looked at more horses than just at tennis. I looked at horses at four different endurance rides. And actually, they were. It was pretty variable. I didn't. I was surprised that the areas were variable. Um, American River Ride, for example, the horses blocked to the ankle, the front and the back fetlock, which I thought was peculiar. Mo- you know, seven out of eight horses blocked to the ankle. Uh huh. Wow. Um, and then I had. Uh, uh, now I don't have it right in front of me, unfortunately. But one of the other rides I did, it was very variable, and Tempus was was also variable, and um, but with a lot of horses blocking to the feet. And I guess uh-huh. what um, we feel in endurance that a lot of horses, you know, it's the sort of the suspensory or it's the hind back muscle, unless, you know, and most of the time it gets sorted out. That's kind of what's generally thought, I think, in the veterinary endurance world. Um, and this showed a little bit that it, it can be a little bit more complicated than that. And mm-hmm. following up with those horses, about 85% of those horses got better. Some were better in two days. Some took a week. Some took up to a month. But mm-hmm. most of them were better. 
the unfortunate thing is that's a, a client's report. No, you know, no offense to that, except that I mean, a lot of endurance people don't put horses on on a circle, and I don't know if that subtle lameness is still there, has been there. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or, uh-huh. um, and if the horse carries on with it, I don't know if that's really relevant, but that's still what I would like to figure out. One of the things that I did notice from that first study, though, was how bad a lot of horses' foot balance was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, oh, my goodness, these people, this investment to do, maybe not some of the other local rides, but certainly Tevis, some of the horses that had just um, bad hoof balance. So what I mean by, what I personally mean by bad hoof balance, my the joke is for me, you know, I want to be able to, not notice the hoof balance from across the parking lot. So this is a horse okay. that from far away I can see the toes are long, the heels underrun. So that would be what we call dorsal palmar balance or front to back balance. And the other aspect would be inside outside or medial lateral balance. So a horse where when you look at them you can see how usually how much higher they are on the inside, um, usually inside back quarter to heel, and then the outside is more of a lateral flare. But just crooked, and and the horse's leg, which might not be straight either, but is running on a crooked foot. And even whether it's barefoot or booted, it doesn't really make a difference. Um, a crook, crooked is what the body's going to see. And when uh-huh. we do an x-ray, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, we can see that how that affects the bony column when their foot is crooked. So my project coming into the next year was, let me look at hoof balance. And I only looked at horses at Tevis. And I did see a pretty good range of hoof balance. Um, I did look at a lot of booted horses, and I did see how much more um, toe generally, would add a little bit of heel balance, and this is probably hard to describe over on the radio, but and a lot easier to see if you're sitting in front of an x-ray. But with a boot on, generally they extend a little bit more of a heel backwards, but they mm-hmm. generally extend a lot more toe forward. Um, I was not able, I looked at 22 horses. I x-rayed 22 horses before the ride, and there was, most of those horses, um, the majority were pulled for metabolic uh, and I didn't get to follow up and see. I do know one of the, quote, metabolic pulls was actually a lameness, and we know that a lot of times they're they're kind of involved. So I see it would have been better for me to try to plan to see people after the ride and look myself. The horses that I did mm-hmm. see were a little bit off at the finish, and they were off in the more imbalanced foot. Okay. So do you, what do you think... Um, an imbalanced hoof, what kind of lameness does that usually lead to? So that's a really good question, and it depends a little bit on the imbalance. Generally, when you're looking at a long toe and a low heel or an underrun heel, and basically mm-hmm. when you look at that horse's foot, the hoof looks like it's out in front, way out in front of the fetlock, and the fetlock angle is dropped. Uh-huh. The pastern angle is dropped. The fetlock is dropped. And they just look like they have a long sloping pastern, whether or not they have a long sloping pastern. If they're properly trimmed, you watch their fetlock go up 
height, two inches even, I've seen it. So what that predisposes the horse to is any soft tissue injury along the back of the foot and and really up all the way up to suspensory. And I think, you know, what happens and what I see in endurance horses is they get um, all four foot sore. And, you know, we're pounding them on. um, Sometimes the ground is really hard. And and it's variable. I think, you know, um, Blake Brown, I work a lot with Blake Blake Brown. He's a retired farrier. He was Loomis Basin's farrier for 30 years or so, doing a lot of endurance horses. And he says to me that he feels that a lot of these, we know how tough the Arabs are. They'll go with whatever kind of hoof care up into a certain uh-huh. point, and then, they, and then they break down with problems. And he feels that it is around the teenage year. I would say that most of the horses, and, and I, can't, I can't prove this statistically, that most of the horses that I looked at for the lameness poles were older, 10 plus, and they do start a little bit older, especially for the longer distances. Um, mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem with doing research on endurance horses, that uh, it's a lot of work to get 20 horses x-rayed or um, 29 I've walked out, but that's not a lot to say. There's so many variables, you know, to, to tease out all the different variables um, makes it really difficult to do a, to do write a paper and say what's statistically significant. But I do think that it helps a lot to know. Um, I think it's important that people know if their horse has a problem that comes and goes a little bit and it doesn't seem significant, to just be aware of that. And, and if it does become something, then that is part of the history. And that helps on the veterinary end and looking at the horse and saying, um, this is something that the horse has been dealing with and now it's worse. If we know, say, for example, you have a front-end lameness pull, but, or the, the vets point out it's a front-end mm-hmm. com- that comes and goes. And and I have seen them now in, I think it's six or seven years that I've been vetting endurance that uh, horses that actually have gotten better, and I've seen other ones um, come up, not not uh, race anymore. Okay. Well, can you give us your recommendations for hoof care leading up to an endurance ride? Whether you're, you know, turning your horse, you barefoot, or you're reshoeing, what are your suggestions? Well, you know what? I think that that's a really good point that you do. And I know a lot of people plan in advance what rides they want to do. And I know the schedule changes and things change. But I mm-hmm. think trying to plan in advance that, you're not overdue. This is something that came up at Tevis when I said, wow, look at these, you know, old horses that are pulling shoes. The shoe came off, the shoe came off, and then it results in a lameness pull, or the boot came off. Um, but for shoeing, for sure, you want to time your shoeing, and I would say trimming as well. It depends. Some people have their horse not, they trim them frequently more than just on a regular farrier cycle or hoof trimming cycle. But you want to plan, plan your hoof care to your ride so that you're not competing with your horse's foot. You want to be right in the middle of the cycle as possible. That is probably ideal, not right after they're done. Um, And then I would say just regular scheduled hoof care. So there isn't really ever a big change that your horse has to 
adjust to because even some of those long toe low heeled horses, if they're in competition, uh, sometimes I don't recommend fixing everything right off the bat because all the soft tissues in their lower leg, if you look at them from their knee down, is just tendon and ligament. All of that has to readjust to a change in heel height or hoof balance. It's like going from wearing a flat shoe to mm-hmm. a slightly, you know, a little bit of a heel. Or, and so if they're in competition, it's good to not make dramatic changes unless you're, you mm-hmm. can lighten up a little bit and allow the horse time to adjust. So it is good to keep on a regular schedule five, six, five to seven weeks, I would say, depending on the horse and your footing and uh, exactly what you're doing with the horse. And then not making, and there's a lot of people too that make a big change for a ride. And I think if that wants, if you wanted that to be a test ride with that particular shoe or boot, that that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. But when people, I feel bad when people are just really disappointed and I think maybe trying to try that a little earlier and not trying it at a ride because that's another right. another in that big, big bucket of variables that could potentially work against you. Now, tell us a little about of the courses you radiographed at Tevis. What similarities did you see among all of, all of those clubs? So... There is, if I had to say, the thing that's most common, and this is with endurance horses and with really most any discipline and most any breed, the a long toe and low heel or under heel. So the heel, the hoof can only grow forward. The heel grows forward and under, and the toe grows out forward. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure... Um, Sometimes I think maybe correlated to the hoof care, not taking the heel and all the way back with the toe all the way back. And sometimes it was probably part of the horse's shoeing cycle. But I would say that long toe, low heel. And how I look at that on the radiograph, you can see the hoof and where the bony column is inside the hoof. But we look at the center of articulation or the center of rotation through the coughing joint, the, the joint inside the hoof. And that mm-hmm. should be about, there should be about as much toe in front as heel and back. That should be the center of the foot. It should correlate to the widest part of the foot. Sometimes it is um, a little further back. As, um, my particular software looks at percent toe, so I like 50% toe. I can, I'm okay with 55% toe. Does that make sense? So. 50, uh-huh. 50% toe, 50% heel. If we're looking at the foot sideways from the side and drawing a line from the middle of the coffin joint down through the hoof, we want about as much toe in front of heel and back. A little bit more toe with a lot of horses is okay. Um, I would say also that each horse is an individual, that um, there are different things to look into to exactly what is the best balance for your horse. And certainly... When I'm looking at lame horses, we're really trying to find that magic range that is the perfect range for that horse. Um, And x-rays help with that. But also hoof gauges, if the hoof is flat um, where you're measuring, but you can just use a measuring tape and just measure your horse's hoof wall. Okay. Were you able to measure, like, their their 
depth of their soul and their hook angles and stuff like that? I was. And they were variable. Okay. They were pretty variable. The longer the toe, generally the flatter the angle, the lower the angle. Um, and, you know, I would say that I didn't see any horse probably with a, um, just a, a really, really thin sole. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I okay. like less than a, you know, 10, 10 millimeters, I would say. No, I didn't see that. Not a Tevis. Oh, good. Okay. Well, if someone wanted to learn more about this research you've done, when are you going to have anything you know, published or, or put out available for us to, to see more? I am, and I think it will go probably through the Tevis uh, website. Okay. Okay. Well, and good. people well, can contact I'll... me directly also if they want okay, to. Okay, that's and... what I was going to say. I'll keep in touch with you, and then when that is available, I'll make sure that um, you know we share that. Um, so the listeners and, and other people that are interested can look at it. Because, I mean, I find it really fascinating. I love learning all about hooves and lamenesses and stuff. So um, we're, just about, we're just about out of time. So I just want to thank you one more time so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to seeing you at the next ride. All right. Sounds great. All right. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. All okay, right. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Well, and of course, uh, you know, Karen, one of the things that you were just talking about is uh, hooves and keeping your horses healthy for endurance rides, which is so important because you're they are on their feet for so long, as as opposed to a uh, mm-hmm. jumper who's out there for, what, uh, 25 seconds in the arena. And one of those things that you guys do mm-hmm. is, is a lot of you don't use shoes. A lot of you are barefoot, but you use boots. So tell us about your favorite mm-hmm. boots. And I use Renegade Hoof Boots, and they are one of the sponsors of the show. Um, I've used them, well, I've been using them for several years now. Used them all year on both of my horses. And most of the time, I use the Renegade Strap On Boots. They work really well, they're easy to put on. Um, you know, if you know, it's not like a glued on boot or a shoe, whereas if, if one does come off or something, um, you could have a problem with the sore foot. Usually with a strap-on boot, it's just a piece of cake to hop off and, and put one back on or, or fix it if something happened to it. More often than not, I'll do a ride and not have any trouble. Um, the ride I just did, was it was kind of nice because I was able, where the footing was good, I pulled those boots off and I was able to ride in barefoot on part of it. And then when, it, when I knew the upcoming next, two loops were going to be rocky, I'd put his boots back on. And so that's one of the nice um, flexibility points with the Renegades is that, you know, you don't need tools to put them on or take them off. Um, you know, they just work with Velcro. They go on and off. Um, you Do know, you notice? A lot of the, the older riders that have, you know, some arthritis in their hands tend to use these boots because they are a little more user-friendly and easier to use. Do you, do you notice your horse going any different in the boots or out of the boots? Um, not really. You know, that's one thing that I that I like with having a, a really good footed barefoot horse is, you know, you want them to be able to be able to move comfortably even without the boots on. You know, if a horse is really so foot sore that he can't walk around comfortably without a boot, then you know you've, you've 
not something you need to look into. Right. So, you know, you, you want the horse to be comfortable barefooted. But then when you add the, the boots, you know, you're going over terrain, you know, they're really great. They really protect the horse's feet. They, I think they help with reducing concussion. Um, I mean, look at all the miles my horses do. And, um, you know, so the boots work out really great. The riders like them. They love that they come in so many different colors. They're made in the USA. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. And you see more and more people, you, you know, using these renegades. And, um, which is great because, you know, they're made in America and the factory's super busy trying to keep up with demand. So it's a, a great product and it works really well for my horses. And I got to tell you, the, one oh, of the things they make easy is if you go on to their website at renegadehoofboots.com, for those of us that haven't used these particular boots before, they have a, a section on there on how to measure for renegades. And it's very clear with pictures, so it makes it very easy to measure and figure out what size you're going to need. Uh, and that's yeah, and, uh, and width and length. And they've got lots of uh, YouTube videos showing how to adjust the cables. And how to make sure you have a proper fit, and, and like you said, how to measure. So if you go to YouTube, you know, just type in Renegade Hoof Boots, or or go to their website, RenegadeHoofBoots.com, and you can find more information there as well. Very good. Well, we're going to be back in just a minute after our song for the day. Karen's going to have a piece of uh, tack, a product review, a, a recommendation. If you're looking at getting in endurance, this might be something that you want to add to your collection of things. And then uh, we have another guest coming up who did a documentary called Arabian Silk, Horses of Endurance. We're going to talk to her in just a minute, too. But first, we have a little Jared Rogerson for you with one of his songs I thought would be appropriate for today called Let's Ride. And we'll be right back. You want a guy who won't drive you back. Girl, it'd be a shame to take this no I've got an extra saddle and I know that you can handle The stallion waiting right down the road We can run above us and crash like thunder That's the lightning flashing in our eyes I think you know the spell you got me under this ride We can ride to the head of the camp from the desert bottom down and go To the aspen and the stage To the pine trees and the shade Where I'll find my baby That's right I suppose I could be Entertained sitting here watching you Watching them just try to take you home, Lord. With all these guys surrounding you, like blind you ought to squat a few. You want to be alone, let go. We can run above the crash like thunder. That's the light and flash in our eyes. I think you know the spell you got me, honey, let's ride. 
You can find all of his music at jaredrogerson.com. That song was called Let's Ride. You're listening to Horses in the Morning, brought to you today by Action Rider Tech. It is Endurance Day. I am Glenn the Geek, and I am here with Karen Chatton, who is uh, co-hosting today. And, of course, Coach Jen is in the producer chair. We'll be back tomorrow morning here live. Jamie will be back, and we'll be doing the usual Wednesday show here. So we hope you join us then. Well, let's do... uh, Karen, let's go to your product uh, review of the week. Okay, I'm going to do Porta Grazers. What? What a grazers? It's a Porta Grazer. It's a way. It's a way of feeding your horse. And I've been using these since 2011. You know, I wasn't sure how well it was going to work, but I ended up getting two of these and taking them with me on the 2,000 mile cross country XP ride that I did. And it turned out they were just wonderful. They are fantastic. My horses did really well with them. And the best part is they eliminated the mess that Bo makes. If I give him a hay bag, he pulls all the hay out. He thinks it's a game. I mean, he eats it, but he also pulls it out, you know, and then it gets wasted. And, you know, we we were camping. We were moving camp every day. Bo's a character, isn't he? The more you talk about Bo, the more I like him. He's just a character. I know. He's pulled down. I have an ice skating rink on parts of my barn because he's pulled the ring gutters down. (laughs) (laughs) So he's one of those horses that him and hay bags don't get along really well at a a ride overnight. So that's why these porta grazers work so well for for him. I've never heard of it. What's it do? What is it? What's it do? Well, what it is, it's like a big barrel tub. And it has a pan insert that goes inside of it that's got holes in it. And what that does is that allow you put the hay in the barrel and put the pan insert on top, and it settles down in there. And then the horses learn that they can kind of spin the pan insert around and pull the hay out through the holes. 
And what that does is it sort of mimics their natural way of eating, like as if they were grazing. And it also makes it so that the horses can't pull the hay out and make a mess. My horses, um, actually now, if I, if I give them the choice of eating hay out of the portagrazer or eating it off of the ground, they choose to eat it out of the portagrazer because they like that pulling and biting um, sensation that they get from pulling the hay through the hole. It's really been kind of an interesting thing to watch. But, um, it works really well. They've made a stand for it that goes through the handle on one side that I can drive my trailer tire over the base of it and it'll hold the portagrazer solid so that Bo can't move it. Otherwise, he was tipping it up and down and up and down all night long. He thinks it's magic. If he tips it up and down, um, more hay will appear in it. <laughs> and <if> it's- <laughs> so, so it works out really good. We've got it now a way to keep it secure so that the horse can't move it around and make noise with it all night. And it keeps him from being able to make a mess. And it, you know, kind of keeps control of things that arrive because a lot of our camps we need to clean up and leave them completely clean. So that's why I really liked these portagrazers. One of the things my husband said on that ride was, if you feed Bo out of a hay bag again, you're going to jail. Because <laughs> 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 he was the one left every morning that had to clean up. So he also really likes these portagrazers. So, and they're very, very sturdy and durable after you know, nearly three years of use. Um, Bo hasn't been able to damage one at all. And I use them all the time. I use them at home in between the rides and on the rides that I go to. They have a lid that goes on it where if you turn the lid over, it'll hold seven gallons of water. And what I usually do is I'll line the lid with a big trap bag and that's where I clean up to put the manure and stuff in and that works out just about perfect. Huh. Um, the lid can also be used for a mounting block or uh, something to sit on or put stuff on. So it's a real handy, um, real handy thing. Now you, now these are not cheap. I mean, I'm looking at the Porter Grazer prices are, you know, in the 229, 232 to 250 right. range for, and they come in different sizes, I guess you can get too. But, uh, so, mm-hmm. but you're saying they're worth it. If you do a lot of traveling with your horses or, uh, would you say that this is mostly for traveling or is it for out of home use too? Um, I think it's for both. I think for at home use, it's wonderful because if you live, let's say where it gets windy at all. You know, you're going to have hay wastage from the wind blowing the hay around. Or some horses, you know, will make a mess out of their hay anyway, you know, either stepping in it or peeing on it or whatever. Well, this eliminates that while also letting the horse eat in a more natural way because he's eating with his head down and he's, you know, pulling the hay through the um, through the holes in the feed pan. And so it's just much more like they're naturally grazing. And they really seem to like it. The horses really like it when I feed them with the grazers. They're, um, you know, that's what they choose to eat out of those versus eating the hay off of the ground. And I, I assume, well, how many flakes of hay does it hold? Um, I can get two pretty big flakes in there. Okay, so two and flakes. That's the other, and they have, the, they've come out with a model since mine that the feed pan's a little shallower, I think. So you can fit even more hay. 
and that that is one nice thing is if you know you can only feed your horse once or twice a day you can stuff those completely full of hay and and put you know put them out there for your horses and then the horse can kind of self-feed all day um versus you know if i just toss the hay on the ground they could eat those two slices of hay up in a couple of hours but the porta grazers kind of keep give it um allow them to keep eating all day and it's it's a really sturdy durable product you know i know a lot of people use hay nets and things and Bo would just have a field day with that if i even thought of trying to feed him out of something that wasn't um you, you know really sturdy and durable he would have it um probably wouldn't last a week and these have lasted <laughs> for three years already well i i have a, do have a question <laughs> the pan that sits over the hay that has the holes in it uh mm-hmm. how do you how do you keep the what stops the horses from just taking the pan out well it's sort of like um i'm trying to, to think of a way to describe it but it sits in there and it twists so it's sort of like a puzzle for the horse and and Bo does like to try to pull find a way to get the insert out but he has a hard time it's okay. very very difficult for the horse to do it it's just like almost like a puzzle it has to fit together a certain way to drop it in and then it turns i got so it so it's just almost impossible for the horse to get it out so there's like notches so there that are going to keep it from pulling toys. it out um, yeah where they have to fit the the round Hard into the round hole and the square peg yep, and yep. the square <laughs> hole, that kind of thing. And uh, but yeah, Bo Bo rubs it and it keeps them entertained. It's, besides being a feeder, it's a toy for them. Well, you know what I can see so, too. If you live in an area like we do, where it's very sandy and you have to worry about sand colic, this keeps the hay off the ground. So exactly, it does. Yeah. it does. It keeps the hay clean. And then anything, any debris that is in the hay, like dirt or sand, it drops to the bottom. And it's between the bottom of the barrel and the feed pan so that the horse cannot get to it. Right. So then you just dump it out to clean it out, wash it out or whatever, and uh you're ready to go. Uh Yes. And if you have a horse that's got, you know, insulin resistance or something like that where you need to rinse your hay, there's a drain plug in the bottom. So what you can do is, you know, put the hay in there, fill it with water, and then, you know, drain the water off. You know, because some people need to soak their hay before feeding. So so that'll work also and make it a little bit simpler. Very good. Well, you can find these at at, uh, Action Rider Tack. Just go to Action Rider Tack and do a search for Porta Grazer. That's P-O-R-T-A dash Grazer, G-A-R-Z-E-R. And you'll find all of their Porta Grazer products right there. Very interesting. And if it lasts a long time, then the price isn't such a big deal, you know. Uh, So that's that's something that uh, you don't have to worry about as much. eventually you'll make the money back in not having any lost hay. Well, that's true. Very good. Not that my pony lets one f- one little kernel of hay go. He makes sure he eats it all. Well, that's terrific. You can find that at actionridertack.com. Good product review. I'm going to check into that because we do have that problem here in Florida. You have to worry about putting the hay in the ground because of the sand colic. And, and I think this would slow the horses down, too, which is another thing that we could use. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. well, well, what you're... They, they have- one more, just one yeah. more real quick thing. They do, on the feed pan inserts, they have two different size holes. So if you're worried about your horse being slowed down too much, you can get the feed pans with bigger holes. Oh, okay. And I use those at the ride, 
because I don't want to slow them down so much at the ride. But at home, I do. So at home, I use the smaller bowls. Very good. Well, your next okay. guest is ready. All right. Christine Lazzarini, um, she produced a documentary called The Raising It Bill, Courses of Endurance. And this is about, um, and I'll read you what, what it says on her website, the bonding that is developed between horse and rider, the long hours endured, endured on a trail from sunrise to sun, sunset to dawn once again. This is a trust that is developed between horse and rider. When the rider cannot see in the dark, the horse can lead the rider to safety. And the horse trusts the rider to keep them going in the right direction. So um, welcome, Christine. Good morning. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. How are you doing today? Well, good. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about Arabian Silk and tell us how you started, you know, where you got the idea to make it. Well, I met Jan and Jerry Zebrak, and prior to meeting them, I have never even heard of the sport endurance riding. Um, when I was talking to Jan and Jerry, they... Uh, told me about the sport, and I became very interested in it, uh, learning more about it. I knew absolutely nothing about horses at the time, so everything they said was very interesting to me because I was learning something new. Uh, and I asked Jerry if he would be interested in helping me with the project, and um, after short deliberation, he, he decided that, yeah, this was going to be okay. He liked me, and uh, he was actually a lot of fun to work with. Right, yes, he has a good sense of humor. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, he did add a lot of humor to the story and to the project, and uh, which was wonderful. I was glad to have him on my team. Okay, and tell us a little bit about the Virginia City 100, which is where the, you know, most of the, the story, the documentary is about. Right. We needed to um, have a, a central ride that we kind of spun the story around. And so the Virginia City 100... Um, it was their 40th anniversary ride, actually, and it was um, it was quite an interesting experience because you know my uh, crew had to stay up all night, obviously, in order to film this, you know, film the ride, and uh-huh. uh, I don't think they quite realized what they were getting themselves into <laughs> at the time. It was uh, a little bit of a challenge. Uh, Filming in the evening, in the dark, uh, because we weren't allowed to use, you know, lights, obviously. It would spook the horses and the riders and as well as blind them. So I think if I was going to, you know, in hindsight, I, I would have used an infrared camera or something, a camera that would uh, actually uh, work in the dark. But so we worked with what we had, and um, it was, a, it, like I said, it was quite an experience. The story does revolve around uh, the Virginia City 100 ride, but it also has little spur stories that we take you off into. Um, mm-hmm. The very first ride, this this was very interesting. I found out through the grapevine that uh, Mr. Hasumi in Japan was organizing the very first 100-mile ride there, and I thought, well, you know, this is history, and I wanted to document it. So we actually got to go to Japan and and film that ride. Uh, and one of the reasons why this was so important is because he oh, he had bought a Tina de Soie from Jerry Zebrak. Um, and since we were talking, well, this actually the name of the, of the movie being Arabian Silk, 
uh, you know, these are all Arabian horses, and their last name uh, is Dessois, which means uh, French, excuse me, it's French, and means silk, of silk. Mm-hmm. So that's how we came up with the name. And so we wanted to uh, tie in um, Atina Dessois, and so we went out to Japan and filmed that ride. So there's a lot, of, and then we went to Tevis, and what the interesting thing there was is I wanted to film Jerry, you know, finishing the Tevis. Well, he never did, unfortunately. But that is part of the story. When you think about it, endurance writing doesn't mean you're always going to finish, as you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it was a great story. I remember... Wait a minute. Karen was... always finishes. Every time. Yeah, well, yeah, she's an exception to the rule. <laughs> well, sometimes you finish before the ride's over, though. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> no guarantees. And, and one of the things I wrote about uh, when I did the review of this, when I went to the Reno Film Festival and saw it for the first time, I put a Jerry stage in one section after he rides 75 miles on 100 why not stop, go eat, rest, shower, and get cleaned and rested up? Because nobody else cares if he does the next 25 miles or not. But he does. He doesn't have to say that, but you know it. You know, what's really interesting, Karen and Glenn, is that um, I just discovered recently, actually just a few months ago, that at that point during the ride, he was actually going to quit. Um, And his ride mate, uh, Carol Saucita, she talked to him and says, you only have 25 miles to go to get your 1,000-mile buckle at the Virginia City 100. She mm-hmm. says, you can't give up now. So he was actually going to quit. And I said, well, it would have been a completely different story than what we ended up with, obviously. But um, <laughs> and she, she actually told me the story just recently. So I, I, oh, wow. I guess I wasn't yeah. supposed to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was the best part of the documentary for me. You know, it made you laugh. There were brutally honest parts in it. You know, it's sad, it's happy, and you get to see all the emotions that an endurance writer goes through. You know, I don't know how anyone could watch this and not want to go out and, and do a 100-mile ride. It's really right. inspirational. Well, one of the things... Um not knowing anything about horses or the or endurance riding from the very beginning, I was intrigued with everything that I learned. So this the story kind of comes across as uh, even I think a novice endurance rider or someone who doesn't know anything about endurance riding would get something out of this. Right, I think so too. So tell us if somebody wanted to order a, a copy of this, it would make a great Christmas gift. Um, how would they do that? They can go to arabiansilk.com, and um, they can place an order there. Actually, the movie is available. You can uh, either rent it online or on any of your apps, I guess, and then uh, or you can download it to own on your computer, or you can purchase a DVD. Uh, if you purchase a DVD, I am giving eight dollars um, per DVD to AERC as a donation from that Great. purchase. And how much is the DVD? The DVD is twenty dollars plus shipping. Okay. All right. Five dollars shipping. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. And so what about the download? What would it cost to download it? 
somebody uh, knows. Rental is four ninety nine. Okay. And and to download to own is nineteen ninety nine. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's great. Have you given any thought to tying endurance yourself? I'm sorry, what was the question again? Have you given any thought to giving endurance a try yourself, getting on a horse? Don't. Well, you know, they tried to get me on a horse during this two and a half years that I worked on the project. And uh, as many times as I saw people falling off their horses, I said, there's no way. <laughs> you know? I just, I said, and the horse is going to know I don't know anything about them. So I figured, you know, I'm, I'm going to be at a great disadvantage. So. Christine, that's why I took up driving. It just looked like I would fall a lot. You know, it, it, I was closer to the ground when I fall off. So that's why I took up driving. Same reason. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, this is great. I think this is a, a terrific idea. I can't wait to watch it. It's Arabian Silk, Horses of Endurance. You can find it, uh, as she said, by going to arabiansilk.com. Thank you, Christine, for joining us. And what a great project. Thank you, Thank Glenn you. And, and Karen. I appreciate this. Thank you. Karen, do you ever get to the point where where there isn't a point in, in a 100-miler that you go, i really like to quit right now? You know, we all have the ups and the downs, and the horses have their low points, too. You know, and we, we always get out there at whatever time we're you know, the faster riders, it's earlier, but for some of us, it might be two in the morning and we're out there going, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know, and then, you know, and then you get, I don't know, something, you get a second wave of energy that comes over you. And, and then, I don't know, there's just something really special and magical about riding a hundred on your horse. And, you know, and then it's just, I think the best part is waking up the next day, knowing what you accomplished. I used to run, and runners, you know, runners get that where they hit the wall, and you know, every runner has uh-huh. the, the distance where they hit the wall, and they got to get through that, and then after that, your body just sort of kicks in, and you're you're numb, and you don't care anymore. I think it's really what the other side of the wall is like. Is there, you know, and usually for me, that was always at about when I was doing five mile runs. It was always at about two to two and a half miles. Is there a, is there a wall? Do you hit the wall? You do, and it depends on the ride. Some rides different from others you know um and also the time of year you know there's a 100 mile ride that's in february so the daylight hours are short so you're spending a lot more time riding in the dark and and that can make it really hard mentally uh, on a rider versus doing tevis which is usually you know in the middle of summer and the days are longer and of course tevis is a little harder ride so most people are out there almost for the full 24 hours Anyway, so it just depends on each person and and what they're. A lot of doing a hundred is mental. You know, I like to ride from vet check to vet check, and and you know, I try to think optimistically. Like I only have this much less to go, or I've already gone this far. I don't. I try not to focus on. Oh my gosh, I have eighty more miles. It's like, man, I've already done twenty. <laughs> <laughs> the vet check to vet check thing is a good idea too because it does break it down mentally in your mind it's not so much of a big hurdle it does. Yeah. right right 
Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, we have another sponsor we have to talk about before we go to our upcoming events, uh, the events that are upcoming over the next month here before we talk again. But first, I want to talk to you about one of the hottest products for the holidays this season in the horse world is High Visibility North America. They are the number one high visibility performance sport, sportswear range. They are selling like crazy. And the reason they are is because this stuff is stylish. It's not the stuff you buy that construct workers wear that's you know the the bright yellow or the bright orange this is actually stylish it looks good it's functional it's made for equestrians it's used all over england uh, even the queen's household cavalry uses it if you ride anywhere uh, and, and i mean anywhere that involves a road or uh, anywhere in the woods during hunting season or not during hunting season and you just want to be safe and make sure people see you then the variety of products from high visibility north america are something that you want to look into. As I said, these are really selling. Uh, I think it's probably one of the best sellers this year for the holidays because you can get your friend uh, either one of the winter jackets or the vests that you can wear year-round, any of those products, the hats. They even have products for your pets. You can find them all at highvisibilitysportswear.com, and you really, truly are giving the gift of safety for the holidays. And for endurance riders especially, because all endurance riders end up riding on roads at some point or another. And these products are very fashionable. They look cool, and you can get a variety of colors, even pink, in high visibility. So check it out at highvisibilitysportswear.com. What is coming up in the upcoming events calendar? Okay, well, we just started the new ride season December 1st. So if you haven't renewed your dues or you're thinking of joining AERC, go to aerc.org, and you can renew your dues. Um, the ride calendar is also there, so you can look up rides in whatever region you're in. And for December, there's not a whole lot of rides. You know, as Gwen had mentioned, most of um, the United States minus Florida is in a deep freeze right now. So a lot of the horses are kind of put up for a winter break. And except for those of us that go to the Southern California Pacific South rides, and those are where, and that's where the next two rides are coming up. And the next one is the Death Valley warm-up, which was rescheduled from last weekend due to it snowing and being freezing cold and windy at the ride site. So the new dates are December 14th and 15th, and that's at Cozo Junction in Southern California. Then after, and, and then the next ride after that is the Death Valley Encounter, which is, um, near Trona, California, near Death Valley, December 28th through the 31st. And it has an LD and a 50 each day. And the same base camp with a New Year's party on New Year's Eve. And I always bring party hats for the horses to, um, <laughs> to use on the last day of the ride since it's their party. It's the last day of the, the year we can celebrate. And um, I assume you know, there's no the fireworks at this party because that would be bad. No, there's no fireworks. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a neat ride. This is the one where one of the days we ride up Gola Canyon and up to where Charles Manson was finally found when he was holed up and hiding out up there. <laughs> and and so that's kind of neat. There's, you know, if anyone <laughs> wants to see that, they can go to YouTube and Google it and they can find um, some videos other people have put up of, of going and, and looking at, at where Charles Manson's hideout was. So it's just kind of neat to ride your horse out there and think, man, 
this guy was nuts. <laughs> I love He's that. Way I'm out not, here. I I'm mean, not he too sure about. I'm not too sure about the name because Death Valley Encounter. I mean, that name alone makes you have second thoughts about doing this particular one because you know I I don't think people really want to encounter Death Valley. You know, it's something you you <laughs> want to visit very quickly and get the hell out. But encountering Death Valley is a whole different thing. It kind of is, and it's a lot of fun, and you know, there's a lot of nice things we'll track on the trail, and it's, to, to me, it's, I love, it's kind of deserty, and there, but there's huge mountains, and it's just um, a, a neat place, I think, and of course, this time of year, there's really no other rides to go to, but this is a really kind of a nice one. It's got a mix of good footing and rocks. And, um, you know, it's just kind of fun. And usually the weather's pretty, pretty pleasant down there this time of year. And it's a good way to get our horses, you know, going for the new season. And I know that uh, things will be uh, kicking up here in Florida uh, very shortly, too. We've seen an influx of horse trailers coming into the Ocala area. So we know that the, uh, the jumpers and the endurance riders are, are making their way to Florida now. They're all getting ready. Yes, they have a big FEI ride this Friday down there somewhere that all the FEI riders have been going down for. But it's only FEI sanctioned. It's not an AERC ride. So um, hopefully all those riders have a good ride. I'm sure it'll be a little tougher on some of those horses with the heat. Well, let me tell you, with the temperatures we've been having, you yeah. better have shaved that sucker because uh, he's going to overheat if he has a full winter coat. We had to, you know, we we have to give, clip our horses too because it, they just get too warm during the day. You know, they still, even though they live in Florida, they still do get winter coats. And, uh, right. you know, now the horses that have lived here for a longer period of time, ours have been here for a couple of years, and the longer and longer they live here, the less and less of a coat they get uh, over the winter. Oh, okay. But they're still at yeah. a point. It's the, opposite. It's, it's the opposite for mine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yours? Yeah, they're like woolly, mine are like woolly mammoths. Which for Arabs, I mean, your Arabs are still complaining. I mean, I still think they get up every morning and go, you know, I could be in the warm right now. You know, in the sand, yeah, well, warm. They're not really liking those, those ice balls on their feet that are making them about three inches taller. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, this has been fun. We appreciate uh, you joining us here every month, Karen, for the endurance episode. I always have a lot of fun chatting with you. It's the Me too. We will be back here tomorrow. I wanted to remind everybody that we have the Equity Wheel of Trivia on Wednesday morning. We actually give away more prizes here on the Horse Radio Network than probably anybody does in the entire horse world. We give away hundreds of dollars worth of prizes every week. So stop by tomorrow. Give us a call at 347-637-3238 at about 9 a.m. Eastern time and play the Wheel of Trivia. We will just ask you a, a trivia question. You even get to choose from the categories. And if you win, we spin the wheel. And we have uh, dozens of pr uh, terrific companies that have donated prizes that we'll have sent out to you. And what a perfect time to do that right around the holidays. So get your uh, get your 
your phone ready and give us a call tomorrow morning. If you're a new caller, we try and put you to the front of the line. So if we have any endurance riders that are new callers, just uh, tell us that and we'll get you to the front of the line so that we can get you on the air. That's at uh, 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, don't forget also that you can listen to all the shows on the Horse Radio Network, including Horses in the Morning and the Endurance episode every month on our app. Go to the iOS or the Android app store and just search for Horse Radio Network. You find all 11 of our shows are on the app and uh, they, they go there instantly as soon as they come out as soon as they go live you will get uh, you will get the shows on your app now the only thing you can't do is listen live to the horses in the morning show you have to listen to the recorded version which usually comes out within an hour after the show is over so you have to listen later in the day that's the only limitation but you'll find all of our shows there and Karen give out your website um, my website is karenchatton.com and I'll be posting a blog later today with some of my camp camp planning trip for trying to make your horse safer. Terrific. Well, very good. Well, we'll look forward to that. So we, we encourage you to uh, follow Karen. I know if you're an endurance rider and you're listening to this show, you do follow her blog because it's one of the most popular in the endurance world. And, uh, and, and that's how I actually found you a long time ago was uh, through your blog. Talking about Tevis. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the first time we had you on the show was probably talking about Tevis, wasn't it? Well, I'm, yeah, it might have been this last the last time was the yeah. first time. What did we talk about? This I don't know, but it's been a while. <laughs> so, it's been a while. Yeah, couple of years. Yeah, time flies. I know. And I can't believe how fast this monthly show goes, and then next thing it's time to get ready for the next one i know i know you know people too that uh co-host this show say what are we going to talk about for an hour and a half and you get to the end of the hour and a half and you go wow it's done already so it doesn't know i know well you know horse people love to talk about horses so time just goes we can talk about anything you know as long as it involves horses we can talk for six hours no kidding i know and i got so many stories i could just tell i don't have to make stuff up that's true you do i love listening to your stories well thank you everybody we'll see you again it's horseradionetwork.com and we appreciate you listening in take care karen and have a terrific holiday thank you too bye glenn give your horse a hug for us i need it he's freezing Thank you for using Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio.